Haha, we started one minute early. It is 8.59. Uh, technically, I said that I would be going live at 9, but up, oh, it's 9 o'clock. There we go. Perfect. Uh, welcome to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala. Um, and um, I am going to spend a little time in this episode kind of explaining um, what's going to go down tomorrow um, with my interview with um, Hank Hanegraaff of CRI, the Christian Research Institute. Um, which was founded, I believe, by Dr. Walter Martin. If you guys uh, remember a couple of episodes ago, I had an, an interview with um, Dr. Walter Martin's daughter. If you don't know who Dr. Walter Martin is, then I would highly suggest that you check out his stuff. He is the author of the classic book, um, Kingdom of the Cults, the Kingdom of the Cults, um, which is basically a, an apologetics work that addresses, um, you know, how to respond to various cults, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, um, you know, all sorts of different groups. They are very, very useful book and definitely a must have if you are um, trying to develop an apologetics library. Okay, definitely. Um, you want to check that out. Also, Dr. Walter Martin has uh, some lectures um, on YouTube, you can find um, they're not as as prevalent as as one would hope <laughs> he was such a great teacher uh dr uh, martin was and uh so i wish there was more um uh more information and more material out there however however i am in the works um of receiving some of the cassettes that have the recordings uh as to when uh, walter martin was the host of the bible answer man and so, of course, as I said before, he's the original Bible answer man. So um, I'm going to come into possession of those with the goal of having someone develop them into MP3s and then making available because I think that uh, Walter Martin was an excellent apologist and definitely someone that I think um, has much to say, even, uh, even though he passed away, I believe, 1989 or something like that. Um, but at any rate... Uh, so uh, again, so the reason why I wanted to have this episode was to kind of explain uh, what's going on uh, when I had posted a while back that I was going to have Hank Hanegraaff on. Of course, the internet is the internet. And so people, um, uh, they were reaching out to me. Uh, people were were saying, hey, what are you doing? You know, are you compromising? Blah, 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 blah. Those kinds of things. Well, um, I want to, um, I want to, uh, clarify my position okay with regards to this and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a couple of things here in this episode number one I'm gonna talk uh, talk to you guys about where I stand with regards to orthodoxy number two I'm gonna talk about the purpose of the interview um, and kind of the events surrounding uh, the uh, how I am um, was able to um, get Hank to come on um, and then I want to talk about the importance of having these sorts of discussions um, and then I want to talk about what is going to follow this interview, okay? Um, because there is a reason and a purpose as to why I wanted to have Hank on. And I think um, hopefully, hopefully uh, folks will see uh, that the the reason that I, that I desire to have him on is legitimate. Um, and so I'll explain that in just a, a few moments here, okay? Now, what is my stance on orthodoxy? Okay. Now, everyone listening on the internet, okay, I want you to look directly into your, your phone or your, your computer screen. I am not an orthodox person. 
I do not agree with orthodox theology with regards to the uh, what I think are the essential features of the gospel. I think that Eastern Orthodoxy has a false gospel message, and I believe that Eastern Orthodox folks should be evangelized. I'm going to say that again, lest I be accused of any compromise in any uh, in any way, shape, or form. I believe that Eastern Orthodoxy has a false gospel, and this is essentially because of the denial of sola fide, which I think is um, an essential feature of the Christian faith. Okay, so I'm I'm letting you know right now when I say I'm studying Eastern Orthodoxy, I am not studying Eastern or Eastern Orthodoxy because I'm thinking about becoming Eastern Orthodox. You see, I'm studying Eastern Orthodoxy because that is an aspect of the umbrella of what has been understood historically as an aspect of Christianity um, th that I'm not familiar with. And every time I ask uh, even scholars, um, I've asked scholars. Uh, about Eastern Orthodoxy. And as brilliant as um, many of the scholars I've had on this show, as brilliant as they are, um, I get the same answer. Uh, the answer is, well, I don't really know much about Eastern Orthodoxy. <laughs> and then they'll kind of sprinkle uh, some things that they heard or whatever. And so I'm, I'm a student. I like to uh, learn. It doesn't matter if it's a false view or a true view or a variation between. I'm a student. I, I like to learn. And unlike some people, I do not have the ability to um, uh, collect all of the books that are written on this topic uh, and read them all. And so I primarily learn, although I do read, as you see books in the background, right? I learn primarily through conversation. I learn through um, discussion. Um, and depending on the context, I learn through uh, debate. Okay. It's someone is just writing in the comments. I don't even know what Eastern Orthodoxy is. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. So, so here's the thing with regards to Eastern Orthodoxy. I don't know much about it, but I know enough about it that I reject it. Does that make sense? Okay. I'll say that again. I don't know much about it, but I know enough about it that I reject it. Okay. That is not to say that we therefore should never have conversations with people who are Eastern Orthodox. Um, the fact that I'm speaking with an Eastern Orthodox person doesn't mean that I agree with them in their Eastern Orthodoxy. So I'm going to repeat it over and over and over again because I know how the internet is, okay? When you see me uh, um, uh, talk to you guys, I really want to be genuine with you guys, okay? I am a Protestant Christian. I believe in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe in sola fide. I believe in sola gratia. I believe in sola scriptura. I believe in uh, solus Christus. I believe in soli deo gloria. I believe in all of those. Matter of fact, the previous episode, I had Dr. Tony Costa, fine scholar, defend the five solas of the Reformation. I firmly, firmly believe in those. And by the way, I think Tony did an excellent job. And if you want to... Um, if you want to uh, uh, kind of get a good defense from an informed voice on this, the five solas, I would highly recommend that you guys watch the previous uh, episode that I did with Dr. Tony Costa. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about him because I'm going to have him back on. Um, and this is connected to what we're doing here. Okay. So again, my position on Eastern Orthodoxy, it has a false gospel. Roman Catholicism has a false gospel. Are, is it possible for people to be in the Roman Catholic Church and be saved? Is it possible for people to be in the Eastern Orthodox Church and be saved? Yes, it is possible. 
It is. But when affirming, when affirming fully what these churches teach, then I think that there lies the key issue. And it is an, it is something that is of apologetic importance. Okay. Now, now that I've laid out my perspective and alienated any Eastern Orthodox person who listens to my channel or any Roman Catholic person who listens to my channel, uh, I'm just being frank with you, but that's my position. Um, and that's my, my understanding of what I think are essentials where, uh, when these groups deviate from what I think are those essential features of what makes the gospel, the gospel, I think, um, that's where we need to speak up. That said, Hank Hanegraaff, uh, in my own apologetic journey, um, has proved to be very, very helpful to me before he made the switch, of course. Um, and, um, uh, in my formative years of, in, of doing apologetics, I found his material very helpful. Um, I do not hate Hank Hanegraaff. As a matter of fact, I am quite delighted to be speaking with him. Okay. Um, that's not to say I want to butter him up or make him feel as though he's just you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the brothers, you know, so to speak, the, the amazing thing is that within the context of me being able to interview Hank, um, he agreed. Okay. He agreed. And this was my qualification that if I were to have him on, I asked him, uh, not personally through a contact and we kind of had a middleman. I mean, he's a very busy guy. So it's not like he's, we're talking on the phone or anything like that, by the way, as a complete aside, People talk to me about, you know, this scholar and that scholar, just because I had them on the show doesn't mean that we're buddy, buddy. Okay. Um, so I don't get to talk to all these guys, you know, all the time, you know, off, off the, uh, you know, off YouTube. Okay. But that being said, Hank, I think was, uh, generous enough through my interactions, through email and through our middleman to allow me to give the qualifier before, um, I have him on. And let people know my position on Eastern Orthodoxy, and I thought that I, that was something I very much appreciated. That Hank was um, was fine with. I mean, it, basically, in essence, he was agreeing that um, he was agreeing to come on, and at the same time, he was agreeing that I would share my position that I don't think Eastern Orthodoxy has a true gospel. Okay, but the amazing thing is that even if that's my position, and maybe Hank. Uh, would disagree. Of course, uh, Hank would hold to, and he said this multiple times, he holds to the notion of mere Christianity, which we'll probably talk a little bit about when he's on, and maybe he can kind of unpack that from his perspective. Um, um, he holds to that. He might not see me as someone who's outside the faith, Okay, it might be. I I think I've heard him say that the Roman Catholic Church he acknowledged is a true church, but has grave error. And um, uh, and I, I heard him say in some context that he believes that Protestants are also brothers and sisters in Christ. So um, he may not share the position I hold, but we disagree. We disagree. But that doesn't mean we can't have a conversation. And it doesn't mean that I can't learn from someone who holds to that position. Okay. Um, it's not sinful for me to sit down with an Eastern Orthodox person and ask them about their views so that I can clearly understand where they're coming from and then draw those important distinctions from what I believe and what I believe the scriptures teaches versus another person's position. That's how communication works. Okay. It's very easy that when we're on the internet and you see something, it's the same thing with all the flack that James White got when he was, um, when he uh, had those dialogues with uh, Yasser Qadi, okay, and this whole thing broke out, which I thought was ridiculous. And I thought that those conversations were immensely useful and that Dr. James White did not deserve um, 
the backlash that he got from, from many people. Listen, when we are able to communicate, when we are able to communicate with people we don't agree with, that is a good thing. And to be able to do that without compromising the gospel and without compromising uh, our principles, that is a good thing. Okay, so I wanted to kind of let people know where I stand with regards to orthodoxy and um, the fact that Hank was generous enough to allow me to have him on and share that and express that and still be willing to have a discussion. I think that's a good thing. But if we're so quick to shoot down the other perspective, then where where are the where's the communication happening? You, you see what I'm saying? Um, same thing with what James White speaks about with regards to Muslims. If our communities are not speaking, how are we going to engage in a meaningful fashion so as to get at truth? Okay. Now that said, Hank is coming on tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern. Okay. Um, but it's not a debate. I'm not debating him. I'm asking questions. I'm learning his perspective and perhaps I'll give some, some pushback here and there because I do want to see how he understands certain perspectives and, uh, you know, the Protestant perspective and how they inter uh, interact with each other. Um, but if I challenged uh, Hank to a debate, uh, I probably wouldn't, he probably wouldn't come on. Um, and, and quite frankly, um, I respect his knowledge of scripture. He definitely uh, has more experience than I do. And so I wouldn't imagine that um, I would be so, um, be the kind of person that says, all right, Hank, come on, come on my channel so we can debate. Um, no, I'm, uh, someone might feel comfortable doing that. But for myself, um, as I said before, I'm a student. I do like to learn a person's position and, and I, I learn best through conversation. So that's really where I'm coming from. So I hope folks understand, um, especially my, my reformed brothers. There are a lot of reformed people who are very passionate about their theology and I am too. Um, but at the same time, I hope you guys see the value in discussions like this. Now, there was a comment in the comments just now, and I just read it real quick, that really encapsulates why I wanted Hank on, okay? Um, <laughs> I'm still not convinced you're not looking to become. I, I totally am not uh, looking. I, I am a fully and thoroughly convinced Protestant Christian, and I am a bloodthirsty Calvinist, okay? Um, I believe in the five points of Calvinism. Um, I believe in the solas. Um, but I don't know everything and I, and I'm not saying that I don't know whether those things are true. I am very convinced that they are, but I am very much still learning other positions so that I could adequately address them within an apologetics context. Same thing. If I was learning Jehovah's witness theology, I'd have to read Jehovah's witness works. I'd have to talk to Jehovah's witnesses. Right. And so when we can do those things respectfully, um, I think that's, that's a good thing. All right. So. The primary purpose of having Hank on is for education for myself and for the listeners and for all those who share this sentiment, ready? For all those who share this sentiment. What on earth is Eastern Orthodoxy, all right? That's the question that, that comes up. And so um, that is the reason why I'm having him on, okay? Uh, so that he could explain his position. Uh, those who don't know the position are like, huh, that's the position, okay? And now... Knowing the position, there is apologetic value there. Once you listen and hear what the other side has to say, then you take what scripture says, your, your Protestant, hopefully Protestant position, and you are able to address the views as they're clearly um, laid out. Okay. I think that is a very, very good thing. All right. Um, so that's really uh, the purpose. Okay. Now, that being said, um, because I desire to teach and to help people within the apologetics context, okay? Um, 
I'm not going to leave this interview hanging in the middle of nowhere, right? You kind of have an Eastern Orthodox guy come on, he shares his view and all right, well, that's what Eastern Orthodoxy believes and I completely disagree, okay? I'm not leaving it there, okay? If you guys have seen my previous episode where I had Dr. Tony Costa on, very, very solid reformed uh, scholar, um, what I want, uh, he's gonna be coming, he agreed to come back on so as to address, okay? my discussion with Hank, not to bash Hank, not to make fun of and point fingers at, ooh, look at the Eastern Orthodox people and how wrong they are, but rather to go through my discussion, okay, and critique it biblically. And that second um, episode, that kind of the episode after Hank is going to act as kind of that here is the apologetical nuggets that we can take from this discussion that is useful. Okay. Um, and I think, again, that's going to be very helpful. So uh, please, I want you to see this, uh, what I'm talking about here, the discussion with Hank and my follow-up um, analysis of that discussion with um, with Dr. Tony Costa. I want you to see these as kind of a tripartite series, uh, a Trinitarian of sorts kind of series where we could address, here's the reason why I'm doing this. Here is the discussion. Look how respectful we can be. Look how informative it can be. And at the same time, let's take a look then as to how we might critique this perspective and make some apologetic application so that the next time you guys who are Reformed, maybe Protestant, come in contact with an Eastern Orthodox uh, person, you kind of have a springboard as to where they're coming from so that you can tether your apologetic interaction accordingly, okay? I think that's very, very important to keep in mind, okay? So that's my stance on Eastern Orthodox position. That's my purpose for having the interview. I do not hate Hank Hanegraaff. As I said before, I'm actually super excited to be talking with him. Um, but at the same time, we do strongly disagree. And, and hopefully uh, those disagreements can uh, be um, distinguished and we can kind of talk about that in the follow-up episode. Okay. All right. And I guess I kind of covered the importance of having these sorts of discussions. All right. Now that out of the way, completely different uh, topic. I want to give people some updates. My precept answer book is I started writing. Okay. Yay. You have no idea how difficult it is to write uh, and um, be a uh, busy the way I am. I know I have uh, three uh, little kids. They're amazing. I love my family, love my kids, uh, but things are super, pardon, super busy at home. And so uh, it has been slow, but I have finished, um, I have finished a couple of the questions, the couple of the questions. So uh, interestingly enough, if I can tie this back to Hank Hanegraaff, the inspiration for writing a precept answer book was actually the Bible answer book, okay? Um, and so the Bible answer book was a book written by, a couple of books written by Hank Canegraaff where he answers Bible questions in a, in a kind of um, devotions length, you know, responses. So it's kind of brief. It doesn't go too in depth, but it gives you kind of a little nugget, okay? And again, those were written when he was Protestant, right? Um, but um, that was kind of the inspiration. I am uh, super busy. So a book like that actually caters to my busy schedule because I can just sit, address a question in like a page and a half or something like that, and move on. Okay. Um, the book doesn't have chapters. Um, it just has numbered questions. So like question number one, what are presuppositions? Question number two, what is presuppositional apologetics? Question number three, you know, what 
is neutrality? Question number four, what is autonomy? Okay. And so I'm going to go through uh, in question form, some of the important presuppositional apologetic methodological terminology. That's a mouthful, right? I'm going to go through some of the vocabulary that I think is important to go through. And then we will go through, uh, well, we, like you're writing the book. I'm writing the book. I have to go through all this stuff. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. You guys helped me. Some of you guys sent in questions that I want to include in the in the book. But um, then it will go into some of the, um, the in-house debate criticisms, the in-house debate criticism. So, you know, how would a pre-supper respond to some of our classical brothers? those who hold to the classical apologetic methodology, you know, things that are more philosophical in nature, um, like the, um, the claim that presuppositionalists mix up, um, mix up, uh, ontology and epistemology. So we're going to go into some of those things, uh, as well. We'll also go into the differences between, uh, different presuppositionalists. You know, what's the difference between Van Til and Gordon Clark? or Francis Schaeffer. Okay, so we're going to be covering a bunch of those things in short little snippets. And the purpose of this is to really be, um, uh, to give a resource for people, a quick resource to kind of answer some of those questions that usually uh, come up. Someone's asking me, am I a presuppositionalist? Sure am. If you uh, have listened to, if this is your first time here, if you watch a lot of my previous episodes, I am a presuppositionalist of the Vantillian flavor. Um, I, I used to be a Clarkian. I was a Vantillian. I, I flirted with Clarkian presuppositionalism. And by the way, while I'm not uh, a Clarkian, um, I really do like the writings of Gordon Clark. Um, so I do I do encourage people to still read them, even though I, I kind of uh, disagree in the final analysis. Um, but again, that's an, another issue. So the, the book's going to cover those sorts of things. And then I want, um, I want a section that addresses the really the lay person. Now, this, the whole book is, is written for lay people. Um, but I may cover some philosophical issues that require some background. But I do want to cover, I would want to have a section of questions that address the everyday person. You know, like how would we respond to this objection from a biblically faithful apologetic methodology? And so it'll be more practical, kind of a quick, you know, um, uh, a quick way to address some of those issues. All right. So that's kind of uh, really, you know, it's moving along slowly, but I've got some stuff and I actually started and it's a pretty, uh, it's pretty awesome. Okay. So now for my large project, I have a large project going on that I, I'm excited uh, to tell people about. Um, and hopefully people will be excited uh, once things get uh, started and running along. I'm sorry, my screen is going berserk. So apologies. One second. There we go. Uh, my laptop is like sometimes possessed by a demon. <laughs> it's what it feels like. I'll be like talking and like a thing will like pop up on the side and, and all of a sudden I lost my, my screen. So uh, maybe we could anoint the, uh, you know, a little, that's the Pentecostal background in me, right? Could anoint my computer with oil, <laughs> put some oil there, pray over it so that maybe it'll stop, uh, it'll stop messing around with me. Um, but I wanted to announce my large project, which is a pretty big deal for me. Uh, and um, I'm hoping that it has a positive uh, response. I am working on getting a Revealed Apologetics website going and um, offering online schools. Okay. So I will be teaching a class on 
apologetics, a presuppositional apologetics where people can sign up. You know, you pay a fee uh, since I obviously I'm going to try to put a lot of work into it. And so um, that definitely will be uh, helpful. You know, people's financial um, uh, help would be um, something that would be very useful for that. You'll be able to sign up you know, watch the the courses and things like that and learn a presuppositional methodology from someone who is not a scholar. Um, I've been told that I'm very well-spoken, okay? And I appreciate that. I am a teacher. I do teach uh, middle school, high school. I teach at a Christian private school and I do teach apologetics and things like that. Um, but I'm not a scholar. I don't have a PhD or something like that. Um, and so I have found that folks find it useful when someone who is well-spoken, has teaching experience, is able to convey the information in a way that's easily understood as opposed to kind of sitting in a seminary class or something like that. So um, so uh, the goal is to create these online courses and um, uh, offer them for, uh, for a price. People can sign up and uh, you go through the lessons. And finally, at the end, you'll be equipped uh, to um, kind of engage uh, unbelievers from a presuppositional perspective. And of course, more importantly, I think from a biblical perspective, as you know, I've said in the past, um, I do find very much the presuppositional apologetic methodology to be the methodology that is supported in scripture. Okay. Um, so, uh, that's kind of my big, uh, project of sorts. Um, folks are asking me, you know, how much would the classes be? I have no clue. I have no clue how much they'll be. Uh, this is something I'm, I'm working on. It's still in, in seed form. Um, and so, uh, I've never done this before. I teach in many capacities. I'm a, I'm a traveling speaker, uh, just kind of do a little advertisement here. If you want me to come to your church, um, I do, uh, conferences and, and things like that, where I can teach workshops and stuff. Um, and so I am a public speaker. I, I spoke at various places. I've been invited to speak at Texas A&M International University, uh, where I shared, um, the stage with some other apologists as well. Um, so if you guys are interested in, in having me, uh, come to your church or something like that, um, I definitely do those things. Uh, but with regards to kind of doing these classes, I think, I think a more, um, classroom sort of experience is good for people. Okay. And so I think, um, folks can benefit from what I have to share. Um, and if, uh, hopefully the, the goal is that people find it useful and helpful, uh, in the task of defending the faith. I mean, we need to equip people. Unfortunately, many churches aren't spending much time, um, equipping their people with apologetics, but we are the body of Christ and uh, I am a body, part of the body. You are part of the body and we help each other, right? So my, my task is to help others equip them. Um, and of course I'm helped by others as well in various capacities. So I think this is, uh, going to be a very, uh, something, an exciting project for me. And I think hopefully very useful for folks who sign up. Okay. But once we get the details, uh, the website up and all that, those details worked out, um, I'll let everybody know. Of course, you guys will know the pricing, the different kinds of courses. I'm I'm thinking about doing kind of different categories. So, you know, there will be courses on theology, uh, basic Christian doctrine, apologetic methodology, uh, maybe an evangelism course, something like that, where we can kind of, uh, you can sign up for multiple things and we can walk through, um, you know, uh, uh, a course that will help folks do those things more effectively. Okay. So, uh, that's basically it. Um, I wanted to make those announcements and kind of explain, uh, you know, what's going to go down tomorrow. Uh, again, just to remind people tomorrow it's 4 PM with Hank Hanegraaff. I'll be doing live. Um, it's not a debate. Okay. 
Um, so just want you guys to get that in your in your mind. And as I said before, we're not going to leave it hanging in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'll be having Dr. Tony Costa come on to um, give an analysis of our discussion and perhaps give uh, some helpful responses to uh, to the Eastern Orthodox position from a Reformed uh, perspective. Okay, so let me uh, take some questions. If there are any questions, please feel free to type them in. I know some folks have, uh, there are a bunch of comments here so far, so I got to scroll through them. Uh, so I'll take a couple here and feel free if you have any questions to type them in. Um, I am in uh, no rush. Um, I will um, try my best to cover. Uh, let's see here. No, 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 no. Okay. Here's a, here's a comment. Okay. Uh, a scripture here, have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of, of darkness, but rather expose them. Uh, amen. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I, I hope that the assumption, the presupposition, presup, get it. Um, the assumption is not that by talking to an Eastern Orthodox person that therefore I am having something to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. I think that that cannot be defended. Obviously, we are to speak with people that we don't agree with. Uh, there is educational value in that. And of course, I'm not doing this ambiguously such so as to give the impression that there's just no difference here. It's just another denomination. I've already expressed my position there. So hopefully that clarifies um, that clarifies that there. Okay. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> and this question comes up a lot. Do you adhere to absolute divine simplicity? If so, how is that compatible with divine conceptualism? We Orthodox accept the essence energy distinction, which can account for this. Um, I do in a simple sense, uh, a simple, <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. I do in a simple sense, accept divine simplicity. Um, but that's just to say that I do not believe that God is composed of any parts. He's simple in his being. Now, there is a broader discussion with regards to simplicity, and I am somewhat familiar, although not too familiar, with the essence energy distinction within Eastern Orthodoxy. So I don't know the connection there, and I know there is a connection. Um, and so actually, that might be something uh, to bring up you know, uh, in our discussion. What do Orthodox folks believe about the essence energy distinction? Okay. By the way, that is a, uh, a specific theological aspect of Eastern Orthodoxy that I, that I thought was interesting and wanted to explore. Um, so uh, yeah, so I do hold to divine simplicity, um, but there is some variation with how folks uh, accept that. There are strong senses of divine simplicity and weaker senses of divine simplicity um, that are held by, um, by Protestants across the board. Um, so it really depends in what sense. And that's an area where I am still exploring. Um, what I find very interesting, though, if anyone is interested in this topic of divine simplicity, you might want to check out James Dolezal's book, The God Without Parts, uh, where he talks about um, his particular um, uh, views on divine simplicity. I think he holds to the more traditional, classical view of absolute divine simplicity. But that's an interesting resource there. Folks are interested. Interested. Uh, here we go. There's another question. What would you say is the relationship between the abstract entities grounded in God's mind and uh, the Trinity? Uh, well, again, this becomes very difficult. Um, by the way, abstract objects or the kind of concepts, ideas, um, you know, if you're referring to something like a, a, akin to like conceptualism, divine conceptualism, I am a divine conceptualist. I do believe that the uh, that these um, ideas, these abstract objects exist within the mind of God. That would be my position. What is that in relationship to the Trinity is a difficult question because it's very hard to conceptualize the Trinity. 
Uh, this is an aspect that I think even Eastern Orthodox folks can um, appreciate that I have no problem saying with regards to the Trinity that there is an aspect of mystery with regards to how to conceptualize this. I mean, when I think of three, it, it automatically in my mind, I make these distinctions that are separate from one another. And so it's hard to kind of conceptualize what that looks like with regards to, quote, the mind of God. So uh, to be perfectly honest, I, I wouldn't know exactly how the interplay uh, is, works out there. Okay. For me, I would say that's kind of mysterious. That might be due to my own ignorance, or perhaps it is literally mysterious and it's not something that we could feasibly know. Uh, so, um, uh, that would be my, my position there. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Okay. So JY says, uh, if you say Eastern Orthodox has a false gospel, would you say, would say, would you say, I think that's what you're trying to say. Those in the Eastern Orthodox are believing a false gospel and therefore not believers. Yeah. That goes to the question, uh, or the point that I made earlier in the video. Uh, and I, I guess I, I suppose I made it quick. I, I asked the question, is it possible for a Roman Catholic to be saved or an Eastern Orthodox person to be saved? Yes, it is possible. Um, but that needs to be tethered out a little more. If, for example, let's say, for example, with regards to Roman Catholicism, if you fully understand the teachings of Rome with regards to those essential soteriological issues and you embrace it, um, I would say I, I would count that person as outside the camp of Christ. Okay. Because, um, I, I say this very seriously, uh, that official Roman Catholic teaching is a false gospel and will, um, uh, will place someone outside the camp of Christ. Now, um, that's not to say that there aren't folks within the Roman Catholic church that may not fully understand those implications and, and kind of in a simple way, kind of just, I just am trusted in Christ the best I can and how I understand these issues. I think it's possible uh, that a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox person uh, can be saved. Um, but I mean, that's going to be an area where it's difficult to kind of explore. If you ask me the, the bare question, that's how I would respond. But a full acknowledgement of what, uh, of the denial, for example, of justification by faith alone, I think that that is a denial of essential Christian doctrine and it strikes at the very heart of the gospel. So I do think that this is a very uh, very, very important issue. Okay. Now that doesn't mean I'm walking around pointed to Roman Catholics and oh, those people are not saved. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. And so that's why these issues are never simply just a black and white issue. That's why it's important to have conversations and to, and to discuss these issues with people instead of just making quick blanket statements in every instance. So I think that's a very important, important point. Uh, urban reform podcast. Uh, uh I think that's, um, um, Oh man, Ricky. There we go. Ricky. What's up, Ricky? Okay. Uh, Ricky's a buddy of mine um, and a, a solid presuppositionalist and reformed Christian. Um, and uh, he's saying here, Walter Martin was a soldier. Absolutely. Guys, I, I said it before and I'll say it again. If you have not listened to the, uh, you know, the audio lectures of Walter Martin, there's some of them can be found in, um, on YouTube, uh, maybe in podcast form. And I'm working on hopefully getting some more of that audio material out. Um, that is, I mean, you need to listen to Dr. Walter Martin, not a Calvinist. Okay. Ironically though, ironically though, when I had his daughter on his daughter's a Calvinist. Okay. <laughs> Cindy, Cindy Martin, she's a Calvinist, which I, uh, she kind of, uh, if you listen to the last episode, she kind of talked about, um, how, uh, he used, uh, she used to get, uh, Walter Martin and her husband to kind of discuss these, these issues. So that was an area of disagreement, but overall, I, I think Walter Martin was a solid Christian apologist an excellent uh, communicator and speaker. And so I, I do highly recommend his uh, material. 
Uh, okay, so let's see here. There we go. Slam RN. I am totally with you on this. I, I suppose that's in reference to the Eastern Orthodox stuff. I do appreciate that. Thank you. Um, let's see here. There are other people sharing the fact that they agree. Uh, yeah, uh, J Jay, yes. If that didn't clear up anything, nothing will. Yes, thank you. So I've given my clear stance on the orthodoxy issue. Hopefully I won't receive uh, messages of uh, to the contrary. Um, but again, it's the internet. I mean, things like that happen. So what are you going to do? All right. Uh, okay, let's see here. Uh, Truth Speller uh, says, uh, amen, Eli, I appreciate the videos you do, brother. Thank you so much. I enjoy doing them. Uh, this is really the purpose, isn't it, right? That if uh, not simply appreciating the videos, but seeing the value and the content of what we're talking about. I think, um, I think online apologetics is such a vital, vital thing in our specific uh, day and age. I mean, if you think about it, the internet is the new gospel track, right? This is the way we reach the masses. And so um, I, I do appreciate that you appreciate the videos and I appreciate folks who, who follow uh, the channel. I appreciate the fact that you guys um, are finding the content so useful. It, it gives me the energy and the excitement to do more and more. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, let's see here. Uh, do you believe Orthodox Christians can be saved? Yes, I believe that anyone can be saved. Uh, right? Um, literally in the sense that God can save anyone. <laughs> Don't twist my words there, uh, just in case. Um, yeah, I, like I said before, uh, it is possible uh, that there are people in the Eastern Orthodox Church that are saved. Um, but again, there's there's more to hash out there. There's some difficult conversation to have to navigate that sort of issue. Um, but yes, I do think it is, it is possible. Uh, let's see here. See, okay, I, right here. I don't even know what Eastern Orthodoxy is. That was the reason why. And there's don't there's no shame in that, by the way. A lot of people don't know. And so that was kind of the inspiration to uh, to kind of have uh, Hank on and, and talk about the perspective. Someone did suggest to me uh, to have uh, Jay Dyer on. Um, uh, Jay Dyer. Okay. Uh, I have never interacted with Jay Dyer. However, I have been present with him in the same room on discord. Uh, and I have heard him interact with people. And, um, I mean this respectfully. I don't know him personally. Um, I have watched a bunch of his videos because I do think that, um, just on a structural level, he uses the transcendental argument very well. Okay. Now, do I agree that the transcendental argument and the presuppositional methodology is something that can flow from an orthodox theology. Uh, I'm of the position that I don't think that's the case. I do think that uh, Cornelius Van Til was on the right track in seeking to develop an apologetic methodology that flowed from a consistent reformed theological perspective so that I do believe that um, covenantal apologetics, presuppositional apologetics, Van Tilian apologetics, whatever you want to call it, is um, something that is a consistent outflow of reformed theology. And so I would disagree there. But but the kind of person that I've seen Jay to be is 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 a little troubling. He's a brilliant guy. Um I would really enjoy having just a conversation with him on the phone, but I don't know. A, a lot of his interactions have been uh troubling to me in regards to just the attitude, some of the snarkiness that that he engenders sometimes and again, I don't mean this to to speak bad of him. Um again, I don't know him. 
Um, and when he's not like that, I really, you know, I, I think he has a lot of useful things to say, but, but I'm not sure I would feel comfortable having, uh, someone like Jay on, but I definitely would be open to speaking with him. Um, yeah. Um, at any rate, let me, uh, here. So Melissa Owen says it's good to learn other views so that we can better refute them with the gospel and hopefully learn for ourselves. Yes, yes, absolutely. I totally agree, Melissa. Yes. Um, it is difficult to refute a position that you're not fully aware of. And so I think it's important that we, um, that we learn. However, however, and I'll, I'll emphasize this in our desire to learn other perspectives, we do want to keep those appropriate dividing lines where they should be. Okay. We want to keep those appropriate dividing lines where they should be. By the way, there's a really cool YouTube channel called the dividing line. I wonder if anyone's ever heard of it. Um, just kidding. That's James White's channel, um, which I highly recommend. Um, but I think Dr. White is, is spot on in calling his channel, the dividing line His ministry of the dividing line, uh, alpha and omega ministries, but the dividing line is the YouTube channel. There are dividing line issues that Christians need to be able to stand firmly upon while they defend the truth. And sometimes that dividing line is brought out all the more when it is brought in distinction to some of these other views that are dressed in gospel garb, but in fact are not the gospel. And so when we learn about these views, it kind of highlights those differences, thus bringing out that dividing line all the more. And for the inquisitive Christian who is asking these questions and seeks to defend the faith more faithfully, that will require us to really get into it a little bit and kind of learn what the other side is saying so as to adequately address and engage. Okay. Um, but the manner in which we engage, and I've said this over and over and over again, the manner in which we gauge is to be with gentleness and respect. Okay. Yes. Jesus flipped the tables over in the temple, but don't use that as an excuse to spearhead every unbeliever and scream heretic everywhere you go. Okay. There is balance in the way that we do these things. Okay. So again, I wanted to kind of highlight there. Okay. Let's see here. Uh, Jason says here, Jason Tolkien. That's an awesome last name. Jason Tolkien says, Eli, you're a class act. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Um, I'd love to see you bring some education to the internet about Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if this is going to be a topic that I'm going to focus on too much, but it's definitely possible. I mean, depending on how my conversation goes, perhaps it'll open up certain, you know, roads of interest that maybe, um, maybe we can address those things. I'd like to bring in some experts uh, from the reform camp who are very conversant with the Eastern Orthodox perspective. So we can kind of bring those important distinctions so people can benefit from those sorts of discussions. So I definitely want to, um, uh, I want to help folks out. Um, I want to learn myself, but at the same time, I want to help folks out who are dealing with Eastern Orthodox folks, um, but don't really know what's the difference and how might we address it. Uh, there is um, the stereotype that um, Eastern Orthodox people are basically just Catholics without a Pope, right? That's basic. Oh, you're Eastern Orthodox. Well, you're, you're Catholic. You just don't have a Pope, you know? Um, that's not necessarily the case, okay? And so I think it's important that we kind of Look at the distinctive. What is the difference between Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy? Where does Protestantism fit in? Why do we hold to the principles we do as Protestant Christians? And why are our principles rejected by Rome and rejected by the Eastern Orthodox? I think those are important questions to have that will put us in a better position apologetically to engage those perspectives. Okay? All right. Oh, one more thing, too. Engaging Eastern Orthodox folks and Roman Catholic folks, um, I think 
for a lot of Protestants exposes a weakness on our part. Okay. Not because I think that there's merit to the central message of Eastern Orthodoxy in Rome, but more than many Protestant churches, notice the qualification there, more than many, I and mean, this is not a blanket statement, but more than many Protestant churches, Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox folks tend to be more connected to their history. Yes, we disagree with how they use history uh, in, with many, in many regards, but they, 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 they seem to have an acknowledgement of the past that a lot of Protestants don't. Okay. We, uh, you know, James White, and I'm mentioning James uh, a lot uh, because um, I've benefited greatly from his comments on Eastern Orthodoxy and even his comments about Hank Hanegraaff. Um, but he uh, he made the comment once, it's not a direct quote, but he said that uh, for a lot of evangelicals, church history goes back to Billy Graham. <laughs> okay. That's as far back as we go, you know? Um, and unfortunately, that's true, not only of the lay, uh, lay evangelical, but even some Christian apologists, myself included. I mean, I... I'm familiar with church history more than just Billy Graham. I mean, I, I've studied church history, but I'm by no means any expert. I wish I was in a better position to uh, in knowing church history so as to more adequately address the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox. This is an area that a lot of Protestants, I think there's a lot of room for improvement in being in touch with church history uh, so as to better defend those Reformation principles, to respond to the Catholic to respond to the Eastern Orthodox who says, well, well, you know, sola scriptura, that, that was a reformation innovation. It was invented by Martin Luther's. How do, how would you respond to those questions or justification by faith alone? Oh, the church never believed that, you know, uh, you, you need to know church history so as to address those questions. Okay. So I think this is very important, although it can be uncomfortable if we're not familiar with church history, it would make one hesitant to engage in an, with an informed Roman Catholic or an informed um, Eastern Orthodox, uh, person. Okay. Uh, uh, Andy, hello. Andy says, I love Hank and Eli also strawberry jelly. I don't know what the strawberry jelly, uh, uh, means, but I, I, I love Hank as well. I, I, again, I, I don't, I don't harbor any animosity towards him. I am, I'm disheartened of his convert by his conversion. Um, but, um, I, I'm not going to throw away a lot of the good things that he's contributed to the kingdom, uh, prior to this, uh, you know, his conversion, things like that. So yeah, I would say I, I love Hank as well. And as I said before, I'm, I'm excited to have a conversation with him. Uh, so thank you for that. And let's see, there we go. Uh, Slam RN says, uh, just like there are saved Roman Catholics, many do not even know what their own church teaches. That's very true. That's unfortunately, yeah. Uh, here's a good question. Okay. Why did Hank convert to Eastern Orthodoxy? Well, if you're interested, uh, that's one of my questions for Hank. I mean, again, his his conversion story is out there. Uh, but again, that's going to be a question I obviously will ask him. Um, and then he'll explain that. You can kind of, um, uh, kind of pick up the reason as to why uh, he left the, uh, the uh, he became Eastern Orthodoxy. So Eastern Orthodox. So we'll explore that a little bit uh, on the show there. So I'll let him speak for himself in that regard. Okay, let's see here. Okay, let's see, let's see, let's see. But if someone is aware of Catholic or Orthodox doctrine and don't convert, they can't be. Is that your position? Yes, yes, that is my position. Yeah, um, because official Roman Catholic teaching and official Orthodox teaching has within it the rejection of what I what I think is essential to the gospel. 
and that is justification by faith alone. I think that is a central issue um, that is rejected by both uh, Rome and Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, so again, it, this might not be a popular position. Even Walter Martin, the original Bible answer man, believed that um, Roman Catholics, the old Roman Catholic Church is a true church with great error. And I know that Hank believes that the Roman Catholic Church is a true church, but with great error. And when I spoke with Cindy Martin, Walter Martin's daughter in the episode, which again, I really hope you guys watch that episode. It was a great conversation, um, excellent conversation. Um, but she even held to the position that, yeah, I think there, there are brothers and sisters in Christ in the Eastern Orthodox Church and, you know, that they're, it's a false church. I mean, a false, uh, I'm sorry, lots of error, but as a true church, me personally, I don't agree with that position. Okay. And again, that's not a popular position, but I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you that I'm convinced that, uh, you know, rejecting, um, justification by faith alone is a gospel issue. Um, that's, that's my perspective. I think that that can be defended biblically. Um, and so again, and, and again, notice that it will hit at the core differences as well. Because when one goes to defend justification by faith alone and we appeal to scripture with the Eastern Orthodox or the Roman Catholic, then comes the other issue that I don't think is essential in the sense that you could reject this and still be saved, but it is a related issue. And that's the issue of sola scriptura. Okay. I, I do believe that you cannot hold to sola scriptura and be saved. Okay. I don't think that's an essential gospel definitional doctrine, although I think it's immensely important. It is so important and connected to some of these other issues. But if scripture is subjected to the interpretation of a body um, in that sense, the, the way they kind of held the tradition as giving kind of a tradition of scripture as kind of this dual sources of authority, I think there, there are problems, okay? So when you proceed as a Protestant to defend justification by faith alone, uh, you're not only going to run into disagreements over the text, of, of scripture, you're also going to run into disagreements over the source of authority, right? Because now they're going to be appeals to tradition. Well, the church has always taught this, yada, 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 yada. And now you're in a discussion that encapsulates both scripture, the authority of scripture, and then tradition, the authority of tradition. And what is that tradition? And now you're going to get into really the thick of it with regards to church history and all sorts of different things. So, uh, so again, justification by faith alone is a dividing line issue for me. Um, and if you knowingly reject that, I would say that that is a rejection of of the gospel, and and again, I say that respectfully, but I do say that seriously. I, I am strongly, um, I hold to that conviction quite strongly. Okay, um, but again, I'm always willing to have discussions with people. This does not mean you deny justification by faith alone. Go away. I never want to talk to you. Right? Uh, it's my hope that in future videos where we unpack more of Protestant theology and things like that, that Eastern Orthodox folks and Roman Catholic folks who are watching this channel really listen to what we're saying um, and kind of hypothetically put yourself in our shoes and see why we're arguing this way and why we find these issues to be so definitional of the gospel. And hopefully, um, hopefully you'll see the truth in it and, um, and, and put your trust in Christ and Christ alone. Um, but if you don't and you disagree, here's the benefit. At least you understand what you're disagreeing with. Okay. And I think that's again, very helpful regardless of who you are. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see here. Mm -hmm. I answered that question. Okay. 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 Let's see here. 
Thank you for clarifying that. Theology is all philosophy. Let's see here. <laughs> okay, a lot of a lot of comments, which is fine. I'm trying to look for any questions. Uh, let's see here. Andy asks, are there secondary disagreements? So, okay, so so you're saying, um, if I believe that there are disagreements over essential doctrine, are there disagreements with regards to secondary issues? Um, yes, yes. Now, I can't give an exhaustive list because, again, as I said before, I'm learning, right? I'm not fully familiar with the ins and outs of Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, but the use of icons uh, would be something that would that would make uh, – you know, Protestant Christians uh, uh, scratch out with hives. <laughs> okay, uh, we uh, Eastern Orthodox uh, churches are known uh, to use um, images um, that are part of their their liturgy and the whole church experience. Um, just like with the Catholics, they uh, they don't hold to the icons; they kind of have the statues and stuff. Protestants don't agree that that's an appropriate thing to have within the context of worship. Okay, um, again, that is a secondary a secondary issue. Um, but, uh, but I would say that that's a secondary disagreement. Okay. Um, perhaps, um, the authority of tradition being on equal, so to speak, so to speak, uh, footing with scripture. Um, again, I strongly disagree, but I don't think that that in and of itself puts someone outside the camp of Christ. So if you believe scripture and tradition as a Protestant, I don't believe that tradition holds the same authority as scripture. Um, and, and I'm looking forward to hearing their position on that. So I do apologize if there's some Eastern Orthodox folks saying, you know, uh, you didn't get it quite right. I'm learning, but I'm just kind of going from my understanding here. Um, if someone holds to scripture and tradition at the same level, I do not think that such a belief puts someone outside the camp of Christ. Okay. However, that can open the door to the rejection of various doctrines that I do think are definitional. Okay. So I hope that makes sense. All right. Moving in, moving in. Let's see here. <laughs> Some funny comments here. Uh, let's see here. I'm starting to Okay, here's a, a good question here. Um, Slam RN says, Hey, Eli, I'm starting John Frame's systematic theology. Uh, by the way, you can't see this, but my laptop is being elevated by a bunch of books, but only the strongest. And theologically accurate books are worthy to uphold my laptop. As a matter of fact, um, amongst my various books that are holding my laptop up is John Frame's Systematic Theology. So uh, it's one of those thick books that really put my laptop right where I need it to be. And so, uh, so yeah, so uh, it, excellent book. An Introduction to Christian uh, Belief um, is an excellent book. Any suggestions I should know at the start? Any suggestions? Hmm. I mean... Are you asking with regards to where to start? I mean, the book is like this thick. Um, see, here's the thing with systematic theologies, and I think that I suppose this is helpful. Systematic theologies are not meant necessarily to be read in chronological order. Okay, you could do that, and I and I suppose you'll have more cohesiveness there. But um, systematic theologies, I would see as, as a sort of reference work. So um, perhaps you know, look in the table of contents, look for a topic that you think catches your interest, and just dive in. Okay. Of course, doing so with the Bible in your hand, checking the references and things like that. We check all things in accordance with scripture. Um, and, uh, I think that's a very important thing when studying. All right. So I hope that's helpful. Just look at the table of contents. What are you interested, man? Okay. It's a thick book. You know, where to start, where to start. 
You don't always have to start at the beginning. There, People ask me all the time, you know, I'm about to study the Bible, man, but I don't know where to start. Like people ask, it's like, where should I start? Well, I mean, there are 66 books in the Bible, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. Uh, there is a lot there. And I don't typically tell people to start right there at Genesis, although Genesis is one of my favorite Old Testament books. Uh, it's definitely not the place I'll tell a new believer to start in. Um, so just because a book is very thick doesn't mean you necessarily have to start from the beginning and read towards the end. Um, so uh, read it in accordance with your interest, you know, things that are, are pressing upon your mind. There's a lot covered in that book. So I think... Uh, uh, John Frame really has a uh, a great systematic theology there. Okay. Now, this is the question. I mean, come on. Come on, Benjamin. I don't know who you are. Really? <laughs> I, I forgive you. If this is your first time, I forgive you. But everyone knows that I am a presuppositionalist, right? <laughs> okay. So, yes, I am a presuppositionalist. More specifically, I'm Vantillian. I follow that specific uh, school of thought. So, I'd be more in line with someone like a Scott Oliphant or Greg Bonson. Um, and so, uh, again, that's going to be one of the issues I'm going to be addressing in my book. What are the differences? Uh, by the way, I'm also going to have, um, a, uh, a, an expert in Gordon Clark's philosophy. And so I'm going to have him on to discuss the differences between Van Til's presuppositionalism and Gordon Clark. So, um, when he comes on, hopefully in like a, a couple of weeks, we'll kind of nail down a date. Um, I'm really looking forward to that because it's a really interesting conversation discussion between the different me methodologies there. Um, we'll unpack that for you in more detail. So stay tuned for that. All right. Uh, let's see here. Is Alvin Plantinga a presuppositionalist? Okay. Good old Alvin. Um, if you folks don't know who Alvin Plantinga is, he is the, a philosopher, probably one of the most prominent Christian philosophers, uh, alive today. I believe he's retired. He's a professor at Notre Dame, um, brilliant mind and was, uh, definitely one of the contributing factors for the revitalization of theism in the academy. So very, very heavy hitting philosopher. Now, is he a presuppositionalist? Well, uh, Gary Habermas seems to think so. I had Gary Habermas on who is not a presuppositionalist. He is a, um, an evidentialist. Um, but he, I think in passing called Alvin Plantinga a presuppositionalist and here lies the problem. Okay. Now I greatly respect uh, Dr. Habermas, um, which by the way, and I know I, I advertise old, old episodes, but if you haven't seen the episode when I had Dr. Har uh, Gary Habermas on totally watch it, it was so interesting because he actually crosses hairs with Greg Bonson. Uh, he, tells of a story where he presented his minimal facts for the resurrection uh, to Greg Bonson and kind of talks about their interactions. Very, very interesting discussion. Uh, but in passing, he called um, uh, Alvin Plantinga a presuppositionalist. And here lies the problem. And I think Dr. Scott Oliphant at Westminster uh, Theological Seminary captures the essence of the problem of the terminology presuppositional apologetics. The term presuppositional apologetics is too ambiguous because there are a bunch of views that can be incorporated under that nomenclature that don't necessarily reflect what Van Til was getting at, okay? And there you're going to get into some of the difference. He, Alvin Plantigo was definitely not a presuppositionalist along Van Tilian lines. And from what I understand from folks who have expressed um, an eyewitness observation of Alvin Plantinga interacting with Greg Bonson because they interacted uh, once or twice, that it is my understanding that Alvin Plantinga did not really understand what Van Til was, was getting at, some of the implications of Van Til's views. Um, I think in, in one context, I think it might have been a lecture 
that I was listening to with Greg Bonson. I believe it was Greg Bonson, but I apologize if this is incorrect. Where Bonson asked Alvin Plantinga, Dr. Plantinga, Plantinga, um, what he thought about Van Tillian apologetics, a methodology. And um, what Alvin Plantinga responded with was the problem with Van Tillian presuppositionalism that if what Van Til is saying is correct, then the unbeliever wouldn't know anything, right? We often say, you know, without the Christian God, you couldn't know anything, right? Uh, and so he thought that um, Van Til's position was that unbelievers don't know anything. Now, if if that account was accurate, then um, then I would say that Alvin Plantiga, as brilliant as he was, and I greatly respect uh, Alvin Plantiga, and I highly recommend his works. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, he's definitely a high-powered philosopher, very respected. Um, but with regards to understanding presuppositional apologetics, um, I don't think he has understood this that aspect of the methodology. And this is prevalent uh, with a lot of scholars. I've, I've heard William Lane Craig comment on presuppositionalism, and it's almost as though these folks haven't even read like a book on Van Til. It, I, I want to think that they have and just disagree. But some of the comments that people make by way of criticism is just way off uh, and by people who should know better, I think. Um, but even that being said, I highly respect Dr. Craig and I've learned so much from him, but, um, I have been underwhelmed by many of the criticisms that have been put forth, um, against the presuppositional method. Uh, okay. Let's see here. There we go. Let's see how much are the classes that I don't know. Oh, oh, okay. Have I ever heard of Darth Dawkins, dun, 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 the infamous Darth Dawkins. Actually, I don't know if he'll ever watch this, but because uh, I know he follows the channel. Okay. Um, Darth Dawkins is actually a friend of mine. <laughs> Believe it or not. Now, we haven't met in person. He's one, what we call an internet friend. We we communicate often uh, through private messages, and we've I've spoken with him uh, over the phone. Um, Believe it or not, as infamous as he tends to be, on various YouTube channels, when you talk to him one on one, on one he is the nicest guy. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I honestly, my interaction with him, he has been helpful to me just as I've interacted and asked certain questions and kind of picked his brains on a few things. Brains. He has multiple brains. What's up with that? As I picked his brain on um, certain issues, um, I have found him to be immensely helpful. And he is my, um, let me see, Darth Dawkins is my black market resource for Christian apologetics books. <laughs> he always sends me books, other PDFs or something like that. I'm like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. So um, so yes, I've heard of Darth Dawkins. Um, and um, I think notwithstanding the negative aspects that have often been associated with his interactions, if we can put that aside, in terms of simply understanding and uh, understanding the presuppositional method, and the questions that he asks in the way that he debates, I think that he wields the presuppositional methodology very well and razor sharp. Now, people who listen to him, because of the discussions, they tend to kind of get very argumentative and then it's a dumpster fire. I'm sorry, Darth. That's usually what happens. And maybe Darth would even agree. Um, but um, if we take that aspect of the discussions and cast them aside for a moment, I think he is spot on with the sorts of questions that he presses the atheist with from the presuppositional perspective. And 
when people think that it's just a script that he's following, um, this gives me evidence that the person who says that doesn't know the nature of the argument, okay? Darth Dawkins has a very unique ability to highlight the core issue and address it, okay? Uh, and But a lot of people, it's kind of over their head. They don't know. Or sometimes you, they're kind of... Uh, they know what he's trying to get at, but they kind of dodge the question. Now, is that always the case? No. Yes, it's true. Darth Dawkins is rough around the edges. There are a lot of people who don't like him. Um, it, yes, maybe it's there's not. A, maybe it's the way he presents himself. That's definitely, uh, definitely. I'm gonna be nice. Just in case, definitely a possibility. Maybe that it's 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 it has a lot to do with it. Okay. Would I follow Darth Dawkins' tactics? No. And, and if I were to, I've told him this, uh, in, in past con, he'd probably laugh out loud that I'm even talking about him right now. Um, but, but that aside, I do think that if you are, if you were to focus on what he's saying, not, not the other stuff, what he's saying, I think he's spot on and, and there's much to be learned if you can get past some of the, the difficulties that come along with listening to Darth. I love you, man. I'm so sorry. Okay. So. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> uh, Benjamin asks again, can we call it an argument though? I've never seen it put into a uh, premise form. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an argument. Uh, you can put it in premises, but you have to understand that, um, uh, the transcendental argument is a unique kind of argument because you're not simply moving from one fact to another fact, therefore a conclusion. When you're presenting a, a, uh, the transcendental argument, you're actually, offering an argument that is putting forth the Christian worldview as the necessary precondition for argument itself. The argument is saying that the Christian worldview needs to be in place and true in order for something like deductive arguments to even be a thing. You see, it's the, what are the necessary, excuse me, what are the necessary precondition for deductive arguments themselves? And so the transcendental argument is an all encompassing argument, not kind of the run-of-the-mill traditional arguments that have point one, point two conclusion. You can formulate a transcendental argument in a deductive form, and that may be helpful. Um, I could, uh, you know, I can give you one right now, okay? Uh, for example, here is a transcendental argument in deductive form, okay? Um, if knowledge is possible, then the Christian worldview is true, okay? Premise one. Premise two, knowledge is possible, conclusion, therefore the Christian worldview is true. Okay, so uh, you can present it as a deductive argument and the transcendental defense is going to come in defending the first premise. So the first premise is what I would call the transcendental premise. So um, if knowledge is possible, then the Christian worldview is true is just a roundabout way of saying that the, pre the, ne the necessary preconditions for knowledge is the truth of the Christian worldview, you see? And so then I would engage in defending that transcendental premise uh, in the run of the run of the mill way that I would engage in a, you know, in the transcendental interaction. Okay. I hope that makes sense. It's, it's a, um, also, uh, Matt Yester, um, also, uh, is, is much more well-versed in the logistic aspect of the transcendental argument. Uh, he would call the transcendental argument. I hope you're properly, uh, representing you here, Matt. Uh, he calls it a bivalent disjunct modus tollens reductio of the contrary. It's simple. It's, it's simple. That's right. Um, Maybe maybe Matt can type out type something out uh, that reflects that that might be useful for people listening. Now, I don't know if he's multitasking or something, but if he could do that, that might actually be very uh, very helpful. Okay.
Uh, all right, let's see. Let's see here. Okay, you guys have some great questions. Can I get thumbs up if people are okay? If I'm going too long, I don't want to tire anyone, but if you guys are good, I'll take a couple more questions. So I hope uh, I hope you guys are okay. Okay, let's see here. Okay, the Irenic Pelagian. <laughs> I like the name, Irenic Pelagian. Where can a person go to see a clear refutation of Tim Stratton's free thinking argument that exposes the incoherences of Calvinism and vis-a-vis uh, -vis its inability to demonstrate its reasonableness? Thanks. Yes, I think a great resource is my two-part episode with the French Calvinist philosopher Guillaume Bignon. Okay, you go back to previous episodes and each episode is two hours long of in-depth interaction with Tim Stratton's views, uh, the views of Braxton Hunter, who's over there at Trinity Radio and Leighton Flowers, all three of which are friends. Um, I've spoken with all of them. Um, we have these respectful disagreements, kind of an in-house uh, discussion. Um, but I think uh, Guillaume does an excellent job uh, slicing those perspectives to bits. Now, of course, in Tim Stratton's defense, um, he just came out with his book, which I ordered and um, in the process of reading, I, in the process of reading, I just finished the introduction because it's really hard to find a quiet moment. Um, but I, I I told Tim that I'm reading his book and uh, with an open mind trying to see where he's coming from. And so hopefully I can get a clarification of his argument um, and the uniqueness of his argument and how what Guillaume addresses in those two parts, the two part series that I did with him a while back how those don't sufficiently answer uh, his argument. So um, I'm in the process of doing that. But if you want to rewatch those two videos, I think they're, they're very helpful in this regard. Okay. Okay. Let's see here. Let's get rid of that here. Oh, I skipped a question. I'm so sorry. In case you don't go back to my question, let me rephrase it. Do you think presuppositional epistemology takes some points from internalism and externalism alike? To be perfectly honest, um, I have not studied in any depth the differences between internalism and externalism. I did watch a helpful video in which those uh, positions were explained, uh, but that would be something I'd have to, to think about. Okay, that's a, that's a good question. And by the way, a question that can be included in my book. So hopefully I'll, um, after researching that, I can kind of give a clear answer as to where I stand. Matt, Matt Yester, uh, who's in the comments here, uh, he might be able to, to point someone in the right direction, maybe send a link if, if he has a moment there, but um, it, it's all good. That, that, that's a good question. That's something that I would have to um, look into a little more in depth. Okay. Kyperian Berean. <sighs> I love the internet. Okay. That's an awesome name. The Kyperian Berean. Uh, very, very nice. Okay. How would you respond to Sproul's objection that we can't escape ourselves? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I'd have to read his objection in more in, in depth. Uh, if we can't escape ourselves, what are you trying to say? You, you see what I'm saying? Um, what point is Sproul making there? I, I, I would imagine it's related to some of the epistemological foundations for knowledge and things like that. But um, let's suppose you can't escape yourself. I would argue that the very concept of the self requires metaphysical realities that are reflected in the Christian worldview. So without the Christian worldview, one could not have a coherent meaning and definition of what the self is in any objective sense. 
Because what we're arguing is that the Christian metaphysic and the Christian epistemology, the, the, the worldview perspective provides a context for one's understanding of even the notion of the self. And so while in one sense I can't escape my senses, I don't believe that, that all knowledge is derived through sensation, right? I believe that there is a necessary precondition for knowledge that is not substantiated through my sensation, but rather there's a transcendental necessity about them that it's, that it's demonstrated that by its denial, it must be affirmed implicitly. And then, of course, the job of the apologist is to bring that out throughout the course of the discussion. So I hope that, I hope that makes sense, okay? Good question. All right. I can't use a moment here. Thank you. There we go. That's something worth noting. Plantinga's bulldog. Tim's attempts to transfer problems of rationality on naturalism to Calvinism is unsuccessful in my opinion. And I'm not even a Calvinist. Yes, I agree. Uh, well, I am a Calvinist, but yes, I've actually had Tim Stratton on my show again Highly recommend uh, uh, that that episode. You can look at, look in the past episodes. Um, and even hearing him out, I love Tim. He's a sharp guy. I think he's an excellent apologist, even though we have the different apologetic methodologies. But um, I wasn't very convinced with the uh, the various points that he brings up uh, in defense of his position and in criticism of the uh, the Calvinist um, the Calvinist position. So uh, so yeah, I say that respectfully. But again. Tim's a, a, a friend. I respect him and I'm, I'm giving him a chance. I'm reading his book and hopefully, you know, I can gather some, some good information there. Okay. All right. So let's see here. Got a couple of questions there. Let's see. Okay. No, I'm still working my way through there. Let's see here. Okay. So we have... One more question. Here we go. Okay. This will be the final one. Okay. How do you use presuppositional apologetics against other monotheistic faiths? Okay. That's a great question. Okay. Now the answer is, uh, it depends. Okay. Cause it depends on which monotheistic faith you're talking about, because when we're dealing with, um, worldview analysis, we need to take worldview against worldview, right? So if the person happens to be um, uh, a Muslim, which is a different, uh, monotheistic faith than that of Christianity. Okay. The internal worldview critique is going to, is not just going to include my criticisms of a Unitarian form of monotheism. It's also going to include its system. It's revelation. It's appeals to scripture and how that's inconsistent. And we can talk a little bit about those. So, um, so it really depends on which monotheistic faith you're talking about. Again, there is a, a different route you might go if you're talking with an Orthodox Jew, um, and there's a different route that you would take when you're talking to a Muslim. Okay, remember the presuppositional methodology pits worldview versus worldview, system versus system. The presuppositionalist defends the Christian worldview as a unit, and we do not pick apart individual features of a worldview and talk about them in isolation. For example, um, if I was critiquing a competing monotheistic faith, I don't simply just take that element monotheism and then critique their monotheism that denies the Trinity. You could do that because one of the necessary preconditions for intelligible experience and knowledge is this issue, this philosophical issue of the problem of the one and the many, which I'm not going to get into. It's a very complicated topic and uh, we're coming up towards the end here. But um, so you could you could critique a Unitarian monotheism um, and its inability to provide the necessary preconditions for intelligible experience because of its lack of 
one and manyness as being equally ultimate and providing a context for intelligible experience. Okay. Um, so you could, you could critique it at that way, but we always consider systems. Okay. When I'm arguing with the Muslim, I want to look at their system, all of the interconnected pieces, not isolated facts that we can, we can look at independent of our broader commitments. Right. Um, and so, uh, that's very important because when we argue along those lines, that's where the issues of uh, neutrality in our thinking and autonomy in our reasoning comes about. When we take these things individually and discuss them as though we can discuss them independent of our broader systems. So I would I would use presuppositional method of transcendental argument against a monotheistic faith, um, depending on what system that particular monotheism is an instance of. Okay, so we always want to consider the broader worldview aspect. Okay, so it's gonna it's gonna differ. All right. All right. Whew. Okay. Okay. Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, in the case you're wondering, like those are some resources. If you're going to read them, uh, thank you very much. All right. So that's it for today. Um, I think I'm going to lose my voice and <laughs> I don't want that to happen. Okay. Uh, so I just want to say, uh, thank you so much for everyone who asked their question. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for expressing to me how much you found the content useful. And with regards to my comments to Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism, thank you so much for um, for hearing me, okay? Um, that's my position, as I've explicated in the beginning, um, and that's where I stand, okay? If you disagree, cool. That's why we have discussions and disagreements. I don't hate you. I don't, uh, you know, I don't think you're a terrible person. Um, but we do have these very, very dividing line disagreements that I think are important to um, to engage in with gentleness and respect. Okay, so uh, please remember that when you're doing apologetics online and you are interacting with people with whom you disagree, there's a time and a place for being assertive, and there's a time and a place for being more strategic, reaching out in the sense that you're not burning those bridges so that those lines of communication uh, will. Um, will be open there and you're able to kind of communicate the gospel message um, clearly. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much. I hope you guys share this, my videos um, and share it around, use them as uh, teaching tools and things like that. Um, I hope that you guys have found this helpful. Thank you, Marcus. I will watch out for those hot-headed uh, Eastern Orthodox folks. I suppose there are some hot-headed Reformed folks and Protestant folks as well. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for your time. It is greatly appreciated. Take care. And God bless. Bye-bye. Oh, and don't forget, uh, tomorrow at 4 p.m., um, Hank Hanegraaff will be on uh, to discuss what I was explaining at the beginning. So, all right. Take care and God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions that you would like me to answer um, on one of our podcast episodes, please feel free to send in your question uh, at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Calm.